Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all today on this um, cold and rainy last Sunday of February, last Sunday of Epiphany, and of course Lent begins on Wednesday, so I hope to see you in worship at one of the services on Wednesday as we enter into that season of preparation and fasting for uh, the Feast of Easter. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you you probably know C.S. Lewis from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, the Chronicles of Narnia uh, series. He was uh, also uh, uh, wrote a lot of um, theological, uh, devotional kinds of literature. Um, He he once said this, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something, something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have only seen from the outside. It is no mere neurotic fantasy. It is the truest sign of our real situation. Uh, Augustine put it this way, O God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Longing or a, a desire to be connected, to be on the inside to, to be welcome, to be at home. We've talked about the context of this parable of the father who had two lost sons, located in Luke's gospel, of course, following the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. Then Jesus tells this story in the setting of a village where there are at least two groups of people gathered together, the, the, the scribes, the religion scholars, and the Pharisees, and on the other hand, the tax collectors, the sinners, those people of questionable reputation, all gathered around Jesus listening to these stories, uh, both um, more alike than they would ever care to admit, and both lost. Both trying to find their way home to God. Keller notes that this story reflects the overarching um, the overarching theme or the meta-narrative of our lives and of Scripture. That is the story of God's desire to have a people. God's desire to, to shape a beloved community whose vocation is to love God with all that they have and all that they are, to love their neighbors well, and to care for God's good creation. But sadly, our lives, as we've seen, um, our love, in fact, becomes disordered. We love things or people or experiences other than or more than God. We don't love our neighbors well, and we abuse and use God's good creation for our own ends. In a word, we are exiled, far from home. And yet, the story, that meta-narrative, that that overarching theme tells us that God's desire is to gather us all in as a mother hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings to bring us all home. Now, Scripture reflects this pattern of our existence. We see it with Israel. If you go back to the Old Testament, you you see it played out over and over again. Israel oriented in its vocation to be God's people, to be a blessing to the nations. And then what happens? They lose sight of that vocation. Their love becomes disordered and they find themselves in exile. Far from home, far from God, 
Only God seeks them out, brings them back. There's a return, and then quite often there's exile again. And the cycle repeats itself. God's hope and God's dream for humanity, God's desire to make God's home among us, it so often eludes us. We, we get in the way of God's longing to make us God's people, to gather humanity around a single table to, to, to have us be at peace. And yet God continues to reach out because God's love for us never ends. This morning we conclude this series on um, Jesus' parable of a father who had two sons, two lost sons. Over the past several weeks we've noted who was gathered there that day, as I've said, the, those of questionable reputation, the, 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 the religious people of the day, everybody in between. We saw how Jesus directed much of what he had to say to the good, moral, religious folks of his day, to the religious leaders. We considered how the word prodigal, which doesn't appear in the story but is often used to define the story, can mean recklessly extravagant and points us to God's recklessly extravagant love and mercy, which suggests that what Jesus is doing in this story is telling those groups of people who represent us, of course, a story about God and how God longs to gather them in. How God's love is stronger than their hate, their division, their sin. How God's love ultimately is their great hope. We listened in as Jesus redefined sin as our missing the mark of the Father's love, rather than a kind of simplistic list of do's and don'ts, a litmus test, that if you can check the boxes, you're okay, but if not, well, that's another story. No, Jesus says we've all done this. We've missed the mark of the Father's love. We're all alienated from our truest and best self, from one another and from the God who loves us. In a sense, we are all exiled. Longing to be home. Two wayward sons had been in, offered a seat at the family table, had been invited to come in, to come home to the Father's love, and there, Jesus says, lies our hope, because neither deserved it, which is a good definition for grace. They got what they didn't deserve. Love is offered still. We also learn from the older son that our religion, our morality, our effort won't save us. Only a relationship with the God who loves us will heal us and make us whole. And then last week, Pastor Diane pointed to Jesus. Of course, doesn't appear in the story, the true elder brother, but the one who is our true elder brother, who will leave the 99 and go searching for us when we're when we're exiled and far from home, who will turn the house upside down looking for that coin that's lost, and who would have gone to his younger brother to reconcile and make things new. The one who took all the sadness and the bitterness and the envy and the self-centeredness and the anger and the hurt, he took it all upon himself and exhausted it on the cross in one final act of radical love making sure that there is no longer any distance between us and our home. So this is a story of hope. 
born um, not out of our goodness or our effort, but born from God's prodigal love. And hope strains after the future. Christian hope is active. It creates within us a passion for what is possible because of what has been made possible in and through Christ. Hope says that we are loved by God and because there will come a day when God's kingdom of love and righteousness and peace will come upon the earth as it is in heaven, therefore, we can live differently here and now today. We can, Scripture dares to claim this, and Jesus names it in the story, we can truly love one another. Hope says because we have seen the future and because the future belongs to the God of life, the God of love, the God of cradle, cross, and resurrection. Therefore, we need no longer be driven by our fear or our envy or our jealousy or our selfish desires or our obsession with proving our worth. We can simply come home. All humanity can come home and rest in the embrace of God. And any time we see elder brothers standing outside pouting over you know, someone getting what they don't deserve, or younger brothers running off and making a mess of their life, we know in those moments those are not signs of God's kingdom. Rather, they are distortions of the love in which we were created and for which we were created. And any time we see reconciliation and peace and people who shouldn't love each other, loving each other, there we say is the kingdom, the hope, the homecoming for which we all long. And so as an expression of hope, of what will be, of the future that is that this father of two sons can see, even when his sons can't imagine it, right? The two, the two boys, they can't see it, but the father sees it. In, in, as an expression of that hope, he throws a party. He kills the fatted calf. He pours out an abundance of the best wine, both to celebrate, now remember, to celebrate one who was lost, is found, and in anticipation of the day, when even the older brothers and sisters will come inside and sit at the table. Lay aside their self-righteousness, their moralistic attempts to save themselves and secure their own future, and simply receive the welcome. He throws a party, a welcome for all his children. The story ends with a feast. Which shouldn't surprise us, given the number of times the kingdom of God in Scripture is compared to a party or a great banquet or, or a homecoming feast. Tables are intimate places. They're places where we share our lives, our stories, and our bread with those we love. When we sit down at a common table and, and, and share a meal and share ourselves with one another, the things that divide us seem to be less important. We become closer to one another, which is why one of the most important things that we do, and it's been so hard to not be able to do this over the past couple of years, one of the most important things we do as church is eat together. 
The breaking of bread creates a bond that is strong and that builds a profound sense of community and belonging and and creates the possibility of home. Jesus knew this well, which is why table fellowship played such a central role in his ministry. Think about what Jesus did most of the time. He went around and he ate with people. How many stories in Scripture? Jesus is in somebody's house having a meal. And quite often, he's in the wrong houses with the wrong people. Which is why he got the reputation of one who eats with sinners. Imagine that, the scandal of that. My kids actually said to me the other day, he said, Dad, a lot of your friends are kind of (laughs) questionable. I said, well, maybe that's because I'm a little questionable and I just relate to questionable people. But their point was well taken. Um, Jesus ate. Now, my friends aren't the wrong kind of people. Don't get me wrong. They're wonderful. But he ate with sinners. He brought the wrong kind of people home for dinner. And he revealed to us in so doing that God's kingdom is the kind of place where everyone has a seat at the table. Where anyone can come home. All are invited because it's God's table. And God offers the invitation. And like the Father, Jesus sends no one away empty. Even, think about this, even on the night before his crucifixion and death, Jesus sat down at a table to have a meal with his questionable friends. And at that table was the disciple who would deny knowing him three times, no idea who he is. The disciple who would betray him into the hands of his murderers. And the other disciples who would all abandon him in, his, um, in the hour of his you know, most need. And yet he invited all of them to come to dinner, to sit at the table, to eat his bread, to drink from his cup. He welcomed them all home. Sinners, people who had missed the mark of the Father's love. And yet he blessed the bread and the cup. And just as he had done so many times before, Jesus offered them hope and sent no one away. There at the table, he gave the gift of his own self, satisfying their hunger once and for all. It was his supper, and they were all welcome. And he invites us, even today, 2,000 years later, to this holy meal, which of course is a foretaste of the banquet that is to come, where younger, older, and middle siblings alike will feast forever in the presence of God. Our fellowship at this table, our communing with Jesus and with one another, our sharing the bread and the cup together is a reminder of God's love for each one of us, and it is a foretaste and a glimpse of, into the future when God will overcome and heal all our divisions and gather all God's children as one. A wonderful poem by Ann Weems. I posted it on my Facebook page today. Um, in light of the crisis in Ukraine. And basically she says, I no longer pray for peace, I pray for miracles. That the foolishness that we dare to claim as Christians, that enemies will sit at a table together and break bread in peace, that that will one day come true. And that there will always be a people, and she's speaking of us, the church, um, 
who will dare to believe that foolishness and who will enact that peace day after day in their lives as they sit and eat at tables, um, both here and out there. What we do here at this table um, is in response to God's love for us. God's making room for us. Younger, middle, older siblings, wherever we fall. This is where we learn how to follow Christ and to give our, our very best food to hungry people. It, it, it's, it's at this table that we learn to lay aside our differences, to make peace with one another, to share our bread, even with those we once called our enemies. And then to go in peace from this table, to share our lives and our bread and our love with all the younger, older, and middle siblings out there that we meet every day, all those who are longing for home, and tell them about the God that is compassionate and merciful, who longs to satisfy the hunger of their souls, to make peace, and to welcome, to welcome all God's children home. Thanks be to God for God's mercy, love, and grace, and for a seat at the table. Amen.